We're back, baby. Back on our podcast game. I'm Julia. You can call me Jules. This is my husband, Keegan. We are a husband and wife duo out of San Diego. And we just have this podcast because we want to be able to share Web3 news and developments in a way that can kind of help our friends and family and people who are listening to this show feel like it's a little bit more accessible to you and you understand it a little bit deeper. I know that I have learned so much through doing the show and having these conversations with Keegan. Keegan is a Web3 developer and also just big old Web3 nerd in general. So I like to pick his brain, ask him questions about things I don't understand, but I know are important to know. And so we're just bringing you guys along for the ride. So I was listening to a podcast today. One of my favorites, Friend of a Friend by Olivia Perez. She is a journalist and writes about fashion. And she is someone I definitely look up to from a career standpoint. And I've even emailed with her and she's, she was super nice and kind and gracious with her comments. And the fact that she even responded was super cool. So anyway, shout out to Olivia. But she had on Mary Lawless Lee, aka Happily Gray. She's like a Nashville lifestyle blogger and influencer who I also had the opportunity to meet in She was very kind and awesome. And so I was listening to their podcast and one of her ads was for this coding boot camp for women. It was saying that, you know, they have programs in like UX and UI, which I would be interested in for sure. Coding and that part of the program is they help you find a job. And I don't know, just because you're in the field and you are always telling me that it's going to be like the next. Oh, I got to be real. I got to be real this. Pause. Pause to be real. Anybody got to be real? I'm posting it because we're podcasting. Okay, if you have to be real, find me, be my friend. Anyway, so the boot camp, I was like, oh, that sounds super cool. I wonder what Keegan thinks about it. I feel like I just also really wish I knew more intimately what Keegan does and could conceptualize it a little bit more and have a little little bit more context, especially because, you know, it's only going to become more and more part of our lives. So I just kind of have been interested in learning more. So Keegan, what do you think about boot camps like that? Well, the short answer is I think most boot camps are kind of trash now. And I think there are a handful that are good. I don't know much about this one. And this is obviously my opinion. I could be wrong. But as with any market, once you have saturation, you know, it's going to be harder to break into. And I think, you know, as more and more people major in computer science, they're going to be sought after over a boot camp grad. Um, I think most of the time. But that wasn't the case, you know five, six, eight years ago, you know, there, there were obviously computer science graduates, but there were, I don't think there were, there were near as many as there are today. So I just think you have a disadvantage when previously you could kind of leapfrog them or just fill positions that they needed to fill because there weren't enough graduates or people focusing on. Them. Yeah, I think that's the, yeah, that's the short answer. So basically, if you do that, just really make sure it's in a field that you are willing to like put in the extra hours to learn because Keegan and I were talking about his experience at a boot camp and about something that happened when he got his first job in coding after boot camp. Do you want to share? Yeah, I think it's relatable. Yeah. So I did a three month long boot camp, which in hindsight was incredibly short amount of time. But I'll preface this by saying, you know, I've got a kind of technical degree on paper, although I didn't do much technical programming classes. I did one class in college in programming in Java and I got a D. And I took some classes that involved Microsoft Access, which is like, I don't know, it's kind of like a drag and drop database builder, really simple. A fifth grader could do it. 
and then some Excel stuff. And I had a web development class, which was fun. I actually did well in that one, now that I think about it. But anyway, so I had some knowledge and then post-graduating college. At some point, I got fascinated with software development. I had some friends um, that were in that field, and I was always very captivated by their work. Like, I was home over their house, and they were working. I don't know, I just thought it was neat, these colored lines on the screen, and, you know, it outputs something that was always fascinating. Anyways, so I decided to go to a boot camp that was three months long with a somewhat of a base foundation. And yep, so finished the boot camp in three months. Yeah, I would say I was probably the top seven percent of the class. Maybe there was one or two other people that maybe were better than me. So yeah, I ended up getting a job at this place in Nashville in healthcare. I think it was about two months in. It was just a startup, super small company. Two other engineers had told the engineering manager that, hey, you know, Keegan, Keegan sucks. Or I'm sure it was nicer than that, but knowing the guy at the time, it probably there probably was something like that. He's a very blunt, honest guy. Anyways, so then the engineering manager comes to me and says, hey, just so you know, Tom and Bob said that you're not, not doing too hot. And I didn't know. I'd never been in this type of field. It's much different than the other job that you have. If you've never been in engineering or in any capacity, it's just different. Um, it's just weird. Like, you, everything you do is very black and white. Either you build it or you didn't. You know, it's not like a remedial business tasks where you can, oh, I sent an email and I'm waiting to hear back. You know, it's none of that. It's really like, hey, you either built it or you didn't. Which is my job, by the way. Yeah, it's not a knock on it, but it's just you're largely responsible for what you do. You know what I mean? And I think I just didn't know how that process worked. I knew how to use this thing called GitHub, which is a software tool where other developers can review, you know, your work and make sure that it's okay. So, for example, like every piece of software you use is going to have the code source somewhere, right? Like it's this code, if I write it on my computer, how do I make it accessible to the world? So you have to push it to the cloud and one of these repository managers is GitHub where the code is housed. But okay. if you want to make a change that's distributed to thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people, for that to get merged into this repository, it needs to be reviewed. So anyways, I didn't know really how that process worked and I would get reviews on things and I didn't know how to make sure that I would miss them and I would say, hey, this is good now. And, you know, I'd miss like 10 of the things that he said because I didn't know how to check it or I was looking at old links. And anyways, it was just a bunch of really small things like that. And I I built the same way. I was doing terrible. But yeah, but then I buckled down and I just, I sat down with one of the other engineers and asked him like, okay, we please just walk? Like, what do I do? Just sat down and he told me verbatim. Like, do you see? And I said it was probably kind of derogatory, but whatever. I took it in stride and started excelling from there. So, what do you mean? You thought it was derogatory? Like, how do you not know this? Like, this is like a key component of the job. Like, sure, I'll walk you through this. But this is absurd that you don't, you know, yeah. kind of like a mechanic that okay. doesn't know how to change a tire. So, do you feel like the boot camp didn't properly prepare you for what it was actually like? No, well, see, that's what I'm saying. This is it. No, yeah, the boot camp gives you, like, just enough knowledge to, like, maybe get your foot in the door somewhere. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Maybe, but you don't know how this world works. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, this is, because on my computer, I can write a website. How do I review, review PRs or code? Or how do I make sure my commits are clean and all of this kind of rudimentary things? Like, how does this position work in the real world? Mm -hmm. yeah, but, do you feel like that's common? 
and you know this was different because it was a small startup i mentioned there were two other engineers that was it it was me and two other engineers it was a teeny tiny company so i'm sure if you went to some big company they'd probably onboard you and spend two months holding your hand and whatever but that was not the case here so that's so yeah it it probably depends in hindsight it probably was not the best place to go but i don't know i cut my teeth you certainly you had a lot of really grueling jobs where you had to figure it out and like really dig into things and i feel like you know a lot of people wouldn't have that determination and that commitment to like dig in and teach yourself things and constantly be learning because i feel like most of the well, all of the jobs that you had, you've gotten because you went out of your way to learn something specific. And then you kind of explored that path. And then it was kind of early in those paths. And so you were able to kind of get in rather early on in certain things. And I think you were just able to like iterate and grow based on a lot of different experiences, a lot of like smaller companies growing. Do you feel like that's accurate? No, I think the job I have now is the only job where I'm like ahead of the curve. You know what I mean? My previous jobs, people have been doing those roles for 25 years. So I would say that's not accurate. But yeah, I think the determination and things is for sure accurate. But I was by no means early to be a web developer. But I mean, I guess it depends on who you talk to, right? Like, I think it's, I think like in 10 years, it's going to be weird if you don't know some kind of core programming fundamentals. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, how do I, if I want to know the core fundamentals i mean i know you said that you only took a few classes in college but was that enough to feel like you had the core fundamentals to go to boot camp no do you feel like you taught yourself most of what you know or do yes. you feel like you yeah okay. without fail yeah. college is a poop show that's a whole other thing but yeah you don't i don't care what job you're going into actually that's not true i think it depends on the college and the degree yeah i think those are two two big things because mm-hmm. I, I do think computer science would be very helpful how would someone in my position learn the fundamentals or like learn enough? Like what a boot camp like the one advertised in the show I was listening to be like a good option for people? I don't even know how much this thing costs. So it might be outrageous. That's another thing too, is at the time that I went, the three month long program, which my mom graciously paid for, was very sweet. It was, uh, I believe, 12 grand, which is insanely cheap. That's another thing too to keep in mind is with inflation and because of the demand, you know, basic economics, like it's, also going to be way more expensive than it was five six seven years ago so yeah i'm curious will you pull up the cost i'm trying to find so yeah mine was 12 grand in 2016 how much 12 15,000 okay yeah so that's and they were promoting this like five thousand dollar scholarship so i don't know how to qualify but i was gonna look it up anyway that's a quite a significant investment but i guess another question i have is like because i i don't know how much is a normal amount or like what do people do as far as continuing their education after college in most careers and jobs right like i feel like a lot of most people do right but i feel like a lot of freelancers that i work with and people that i know have like invested in certain amounts of like continuing education i have a bunch of friends and and family and like grad school programs recently and like divinity school grad school like a lot of my friends are doing things to like take their education to the next level in adulthood and so i guess that has me thinking about like oh if that was a value of mine or if that's something i planned for or wanted to do but i spent that money specifically in an area 
that was niche or like that I really wanted to invest in because I love school. I'm like such a nerd when it comes to that. Like I love structure and curriculums and like taking tests and writing papers. Like I don't know. But I think I learn really well that way. And I think that structure would be really good for me. And, you know, I work for people who charge a service to like receive a certain amount of care and education. And so it's just like being around people who regularly invest in themselves towards things like mental health or like other things. I think it's like, okay, so if it's important to you, you could do something like that where you could, you meaning me. <laughs> Like I could save and prepare and then like take a certain course. So I don't know. I've just been thinking about what that would look like for us. Yeah, I would definitely not do that. There's so many free online resources. Like there's there is open source free mass. Basically, like you can go through like a master's degree online. You know what I mean? Like you can literally take courses for free. You're not going to get that piece of paper, but who cares? So I would recommend just doing something like Code Academy or Khan Academy that's $10 a month. There's so many programs now. And I would start there and then, um, you know, get a job paying you forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. Do that for a year or two. Then you can probably jump to 80 or 90. Do that for another two years. You can probably jump to 140. You know, another two years, you can be at 200 grand. So that would be my suggestion because most people are going to take out a loan to do this program. So you have to think about that, how that's going to compound. It, maybe it takes you two or three months to find a job. You know what I mean? think at the, the end result, you're going to be come out way further ahead if you try to get your foot in the door somewhere making even a little money. Most people yeah. are very short-sighted, though. And I truly think this idea of go through X program, not all of them, but I think a lot of them of go through X program, you're guaranteed a job is not a scam, but I think it's there's like that program for sure has something in their terms. It's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Because I think the one that I went to had X percent, 90 percent success rate, but how they measured that was very weird and convoluted. You know what I mean? So, no. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know this one, but I just, I know a lot of boot camps were, were like that. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I just meant like I'm more drawn to like the more traditional like schooling environment. Yeah, I think most people are, but I think it just come, comes down to like, what do you have access to? Right. Like, I would love to go get my master's. You mean there are like science? Yeah, it would be awesome. I'll do that tomorrow, but it's just expensive. You know, I think most people would prefer structured learning if they could afford it, but I just think it's a luxury that most people don't have today. Yeah, that's very fair. It's a good place to start. Okay, that's interesting. You could also go to a community college, you know, like yeah. if you like that structure, you could go to a local community college. Which I have. Yeah, just take a few classes, audit some. Yeah, that's true. I did take that class at CSU, that interior design class. That was fun. It was like a hundred bucks over six weeks and it was relatively easy, but you got to really understand like the basics and underlying fundamentals of interior design. And I kind of took it to see if it would be something that I wanted to pursue seriously. And I feel like it was a really good place to start and, you know. I didn't end up doing anything with it, but it was a great investment. I, you know, use what I learned there in like my everyday life. So I thought it was worth it. So yeah, you're right. That might be fun to just like take a class like every a couple of times a year or something like that. Yeah. I think if the larger question is career pivots. Yeah. I would most certainly not go to school unless you can pay for it out of pocket or your relatives can pay for it out of pocket. You take on zero loan. Yeah. That is the only case, in my opinion, where one should go to school today. Just because there's so many other accessible and affordable options that are going to get you just as far. Yeah. Okay. Or honestly, just lie on your resume. Just put down some college and... No. I would not recommend that. 
I don't know. That's literally what you're paying for is to have one line on your resume. I don't know. I think it means a lot to a lot of people. It's commitment and an investment. People take it seriously. People do pay a lot of money to go to school. Well, okay. So what do you think the percentage, how many colleges do you think get contacted about applicants to see if they went there? My guess is like 15%. Yeah, I guess that's a good way of looking at it. I mean, yeah, it's a risk. I'm not saying I'm not saying do that, but I would literally do that over taking a long go to college because I feel like if you applied, let's just say it's they check seventy percent of them, seventy five percent, you apply to four jobs, you're gonna find one that's not gonna check it, and I feel like seventy five percent is extremely high. Cool. Well, lots of crazy shit's been going down in crypto land, and we've been having basically daily powwows talking about this situation and i was like hey this would be a great topic to share on the podcast because people may be familiar with this because it's been in the news and we can provide just like a different perspective from someone in the space so keegan how long has this been going on like what day did you come to me and like start telling me that all this was going down like how many days is uh, it was last week i can't it was wednesday thursday or friday i feel like it broke wednesday here, I can, so it's I can okay. It's out. been in like the last five to seven days, right? And yeah. every single day for the last five to seven days, Keegan will have an update on this case, and it just gets crazier and crazier. And it's like you're watching a documentary unfold in real time. Like you know, you're gonna watch a show about this later. <laughs> it's like that crazy, and you know, the financial market is taking such a hit, and it's just kind of mind blowing what happens. So it looks like news broke five days ago, and there were rumors of. FTX being insolvent, meaning like not having money to pay back to to let people withdraw funds, I think a day or two prior. So I think like what you said to me was, hey, there's this guy. He was like in his late 20s and he made like, I don't know, a crazy amount of billion dollars. Yeah, he was worth like $26 billion at 28. Right. From having an exchange, a crypto exchange company, right? Just like Crypto.com. Yeah, and if you don't know what crypto exchange is, you know, like a stock exchange, but for crypto. Yeah, Coinbase is a direct competitor. So a place where you insert $100 in exchange for whatever point zero 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 one Bitcoin, whatever $100 equates to. You can exchange fiat currency, i.e. USD, the US dollar, for any X amount of crypto that money equates to in said crypto. So this guy has made 26 billion well yeah that was what his net worth was anyway he made a shit ton of billion dollars and was very young and obviously had all of this money and people who were invested in his company were like tom brady was invested in this company he's probably the one that everyone does a bunch of vc people i think a16z which i don't think yeah yeah he's probably the big mainstream person so it started Five days ago, the news broke that basically the company didn't have funds. Yeah, they were insolvent. Someone was having trouble withdrawing money or, you know, whatever. They wanted to get their 0.5 Bitcoin out for whatever reason. Maybe it doesn't matter. And so that's money that they would leave in the exchange. So once they would exchange fiat for crypto, you can either move it out of the exchange, like into your bank account or your wallet, or you leave it in. And these are people who have left money, like, in the exchange. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's this concept of reserves, which is 
obviously, if I put in $100 for 10 Keegan coin, that entity has to maintain that $10 that I spent. Because, if, or if it goes up, you need more than that. The value? Yeah, I need to be able to exchange that anytime. Yeah, one to one, like it's there. Yeah, that's just any bank. Yeah, in any business, really. Yeah, well, just a bank. Just imagine going and being like, hey, I want to withdraw $100. And they're like, oh, sorry, it's going to be, we don't know when you're going to be able to do that. Yeah, that's, what that's it crazy. Is. Absurd. So people were having trouble withdrawing or they wouldn't withdraw. And, you know, people did some slow thing online, you know, found the wallet addresses associated to FTX for various L1s or cryptocurrencies. So, you know, they found FTX's Ethereum wallet and FTX's Bitcoin wallet and so on and so forth. And, you know, they were like, whoa, this is weird. There's like nothing in here. Like how this is strange. And they can see that because it's on blockchain. Yeah. And yeah. So then that just kind of started opening up this can of worms and, you know, come to find out the short of it is what FTX was doing is they minted their own token. The ticker was FTT. I don't know if I had a name, but FTT is effectively FTX coin. And if it sounds silly, like. If you're thinking, what does that mean? You're correct. Like, what does it mean? It's nothing. They made this token out of thin air. I think it does something to cut down fees if you hold X amount. But effectively, it's kind of this piece of paper that, you know, they wrote FTT on. So come to find out is all of the money um, that was coming into the exchange. They were making, they being FTX, the executives were making very, very aggressive bets. You know, just insane just ridiculous, massive. The downside was huge. The upside was bigger, but the downsides, you know, when they're doing this billions of dollars, keep in mind, like billions of dollars. And this is money that people put in the exchange. So when money would come into the exchange, they were backing it by this FTT token. And they were taking that money that was coming in, the fiat, and they were buying, you know, real cryptocurrencies quote unquote real like ethereum and then betting with that ethereum and then backing the money that they put in with this made up ftc token which had some value at the time but they were literally dictating the price and yeah so which is basically a no-no oh yeah i mean this is yeah uh, i was talking to my friend who is uh, who is in finance and yeah just about the legal ramifications of this and this is bad news bears he's gonna go to jail for a very long time um i'll be shocked if he doesn't anyways yeah this is bad this is like bernie made up times too bad to the scale that he was what did jp morgan say they released a statement on it right yeah so jp morgan said that this is not this whole ftx fiasco has nothing to do with crypto this is the result of a centralized entity i can't remember they said it was centralized entity but the point the takeaway is that you know, this has nothing to do with crypto. And, you know, you're going to see a lot of things, understandably, I get it, that say, you know, crypto is bad, crypto is dead. This is why you don't get into crypto. When the, it's very ironic, but the reason that crypto exists, the reason that Satoshi Nokomoto created Bitcoin was to prevent things like this from happening. So it's very weird that crypto was in, was at the heart of the thing that it was supposed to prevent. So I think that's one, I think that's the biggest thing to keep in mind is this has nothing to do with Ethereum or Bitcoin or any other L1 or L2. It has to do with a bad actor named Sam. So 
Yeah, that's effectively what JP Morgan said. Explain why this wouldn't be a thing if it was done in a decentralized manner. There would be no one gambling funds. I mean, that's it. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, crypto blockchains, they operate via code. Code cannot lie. Code cannot be malicious. It exists as the result of someone's mind. Blockchains are all open source. They're open protocols. You can look at the code. You can go and look and literally see how it works. If you don't like it, fine. Don't use it. But yeah, it's trustworthy because it's proof of code, if you will. There's not going to be an error. Right. So someone's not going to be betting your money. Correct. Basically. And yeah, then that's the whole point. And this goes back to, you know, the saying that's been said in, in the community, the crypto community for years now. It's not your keys, not your crypto. And this is the, the, the epitome of that. This is the worst case of that. You know, you're because when you use an exchange, a centralized exchange, you're effectively it doesn't matter. Like if it's using blockchain or fiat or some alien technology, they're still in charge of your assets. You know what I mean? So anytime you use a centralized exchange, you're exposing yourself to this potential risk. So, yeah. Yeah. Very well put. But the saga just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Like every day, something else kind of comes out about this guy and this whole situation. So at the same time that all this was coming out, something happened where someone had hacked or gone into their system and started draining like millions of dollars, right? Yeah, hundreds of millions. So how did that happen and who, you know, tell that drama. Yeah. So shortly after, you know, shit started hitting the fan. I think it's important to, to, I don't know if you and I have discussed this, but the whole fallout began. So Binance, another centralized exchange. I actually don't know his real name. Top of my head. His Twitter handle is CZ, the CEO of Binance, another massive billionaire. Anyways, he had a stake. I believe, in FTX, and a pretty large stake in how is it represented? FTT token. But he had a ton. I don't remember how much. But anyways, he was, I forget why, but for whatever reason, he wanted out. So he sells all of his FTT tokens. And that was the catalyst that made FTT plummet in a drastic fashion. And the House of Cards just imploded. Ah, okay. Yep. So when that happened and things started, everyone started freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Can't withdrawals. Around that time, someone, a quote-unquote hacker, now believed, it's speculated that this is likely an insider from FTX. Is it Sam? When I'm saying Sam, I mean the CEO of FTX. Sam Bankman from? I don't remember. Anyways, you guys have SBF on Twitter. And yeah, so there was a hacker and or an insider just draining funds from the from FTX because apparently there were one to two billion dollars that could not be accounted for that were somewhere and you know they were just being drained and I think today actually they took all these funds converted it to Ethereum by one vehicle or another and now they own three three hundred and twenty thousand Ethereum I think which makes them like the thirty first largest holder of Ethereum on the planet. So, yeah, so that hack happened. And yeah. And it was all tied to bank accounts in the Bahamas. And there's something to do with like tracking planes and his movements. Like, what's all that about? That was crazy. Yeah. So, unsurprisingly, you know, come to find out that FTX is uh, registered and based out of the Bahamas. And I believe the reasoning, I'm not super familiar on tax law or any of that, but I know that the Bahamas is very generous with taxes and crypto and all of that. Not that it's a free-for-all, but 
you know, much, obviously much less strict than somewhere like New York City or whatever. Sam and his crew and Caroline, the CEO of Elevator, which we can get into next. We're all in the Bahamas. And yeah, so they, there were people on Twitter tracking their software that will track plane, flight paths, flight numbers, all of that. And, you know, there was a private jet that was leaving the Bahamas. I think by the number on the plane, the plane identifier, they were able to deduce that it was likely an FTX plane owned with the company. And it was speculated that Sam and crew were on this plane. Come to find out that Sam was not on the plane. However, Caroline, his co-conspirator, if you will, and some other executives were on the plane and they left to, where did they go? I think South America. I think they went to South America with the end goal being to Dubai. They wanted to go to Dubai because there is no extradition process. Is that the right word? Yeah. So basically, if they make it to Dubai, they're kind of home free with, you know, if it was them stealing the money there in Dubai with d- d- billions of dollars, there's nothing that can be done. However, they did not make it to Dubai. I believe that they're in South America. I think they're in South America. So I mentioned Caroline. Caroline is the CEO of Alameda Research. I think a young, brilliant mind. She went to MIT. I guess that doesn't make her brilliant, but she's not done. But she was the CEO of Alameda Research, which was this, I don't know, kind of advisory trading company that had very close ties to FTX. And coming to find out it was, Alameda was the vehicle in which FTX was funneling these funds to make the bets. So it wasn't technically FTX making the bets. Line CEO base had access to all of the funds. So kind of be like Julia having a billion dollars and then trusting me to, not trusting me, but giving me access, wink, wink, to, hey, don't do this, but here are the keys to the billion dollars if you want it, that kind of thing. So she had full reign to access all of the reserves, and that's exactly what they did. So she was basically taking the money that people had invested, and then through Alameda, making outlandish bets. When I'm saying bets, I mean investments, just, you know, the, essentially bets. But it's not like she was betting on football games. She was just, you know, saying, hey, I think this token's going to go up very high. So that's what I mean by bets, just very risky investments. And yeah. Yeah. And so basically, what caused all of their investments to implode? It was essentially like when everything is backed by this thing that you made up, and the value of that thing that is made up goes down. You don't have anything. They effectively lost all of the funds. And it was basically these quote unquote pieces of paper, i.e. FTT tokens. That's all they had. But when that goes, like they, they didn't have like any of the assets left. They lost 8 billion of the 10 billion reserves. Over, I'm just like, like, how does that happen? Like, because the market is, has taken such a down. No, they were taking... That's or just saying. the bets. Okay. Yeah, they were just making ridiculous things and then just printing these FTT tokens to make up for it. I mean, did they think that they were going to get very far doing that? I can't imagine, like... Yeah, it's absurd. But what's even more crazy is the reach that FTX had. There was some infographic, and I mean, it's just insane. I mean, just to put it in perspective, I think the company was started in 20... Let's look it up. But I think it was started in 2017. And, you know, it was literally one of the biggest companies in the U.S. That's absurd. And because it's a centralized company, they don't have to show you or tell you how they are handling your money. But if it was decentralized, you'd be able to see, like, all the transactions. Well, that's the thing. He committed so many SEC... Financial crimes? 
Yes, so many. Like you oh, can't okay. do this. It doesn't matter if you're in crypto or not. Like yeah. what he did is just yeah. legal. No, go to jail. This is bad. So, it, it kind of turned into a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, That's kind of what happened. So all these people just lost all of the money they invested. It's gone. Yep. So I think sad. Tom Brady invested like sixty-five million dollars or something. It's just. What are your sources for this information? Like, what Twitter. do you you just read Twitter? Just twittering it. Twitter trending. Yeah, one of the people that I follow because of the people that I follow, because if someone I follow retweets something, I'll hey Julia retweeted this because I follow Julia, and just like my the, the people that I follow are just in this community, so just you know it, it adds up, and I find someone that's interesting, someone will retweet a thread, and. You know, in that thread, someone will reference something else, and then I'll click on that, and then go look at that tweet. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, just Twitter. Investigative journalism, that's what you're going to get at her and her via Twitter. 2018 is when I started. Yeah, that's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. So how do you feel like he got people to invest in him and believe in him? He must be some sort of character. I think his returns were absurd, because he kind of joined, you know, right as the previous bull market was starting and he looked like a genius because like when they were using insane amounts of leverage so when things are good they're fucking astronomically good mm -hmm. you know what i mean like if i have one dollar i can get whatever let's we'll go nuts and say 10x leverage i really have access to ten dollars so if i bet that ten dollars and you know that thing three x's i just made three thousand percent return right does that make sense right so when the bull market was happening he was it, he looked like a genius you know what yeah. i mean and pe i think people were just overshadowed by that didn't do their due diligence. that's the whole conversation that was happening a couple of days ago it was like how did this kid get so yeah. far because in hindsight it's 2020 everyone was just like yeah this is, makes sense like the things he was saying how he was getting money the funny thing is he actually bailed out <laughs> several exchanges that were struggling because of the crypto winter everyone's struggling he build them out so it's kind of ironic in a way that he isn't in the shitter yeah but he obviously committed lots of crimes oh he's a terrible human being so that'd be like me starting a company four years ago and i'm worth nothing i'm worth 26 billion dollars in four years that's how fucking fast it was that's nuts yeah <laughs> yeah so someone's red flag should have gone up or something. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, too, is like he was a sponsor for the MLB. FTX owned the naming rights to two professional stadiums. Oh, I, yeah. I feel like that's the one of the first things you told me. Yeah. I mean, Crypto.com does, too. And I think Crypto.com is about to go under. Like, this is a domino effect that's going to, within the next month, there's going to be, I would say, three to six other exchanges are large that go under in a lot. Because that's a significant amount of money. So, of course, it's going to, like, have a domino effect, right? Of course. Yeah. Damn. Do you yeah. think that the funds he invested in are going to go down? Because they're not going to have that anymore? Well, it depends on their exposure. But, yeah, of course. I mean, if I'm a VC and I invest in... Like, if I invested in Enron and 20% of my holdings are in Enron, and Enron, I'm, I'm going to get the fuck out of there. You know, I'm going to pull out money from that VC thing because mm -hmm. they're just like, how did you not see this? You're responsible for my money. And that's what's going to happen. Right. And that's what happened with Binance and FTX. What do you mean Binance? Because he sold. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I can't remember why he sold. It might have been because things are fishy. I'm not sure. Yeah. 
But yeah. Well, pretty nuts. We'll keep you updated on the happenings. It's been interesting. So he, they're now in South America. He's still in the Bahamas. He's still in the Bahamas. So if he ever basically gets back into U.S. soil, he's going to be arrested, right? That's what I'm interested to see is, I mean, he deserves, oh, he deserves life in jail, in my opinion. But I'll be, I'm curious to see what he actually ends up going to jail for and for how long. Because I'm sure he's got some top-notch lawyers because... I was listening to a Twitter Spaces, and they made a good point. They they were saying, whoever takes on this case, whatever lawyer, it's, it's like a career maker. Again, we're talking about, like, bigger than Bernie Madoff. So whoever represents this guy, whether you get him off or not, you're, as a lawyer, your face yeah. is going to be everywhere. Everyone's going to know your name. Like, you know, the lawyer for O.J. Simpson, the lawyer for Enron, yeah. mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It's uh, He's probably going to get someone very good. So I'll be curious to see what he ends up, what time. And do you think, like, didn't you say that there were, like, 10 of them at the top of FTX? I made that number up, but, yeah, something like Like that. A group of people at the top of FTX. So do you think they're going to be implicated as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone everyone at the company that can be tied to any of this, it's a big note. I think people, because, again, just think about, like, how many lives he ruined. Yeah, I mean, if you're implicated in any way, you're going to get damaged. But what's going to happen, more than likely, is people are going to start flipping on him or them because they're going to want a less sentence. So I think there's going to be a lot of news once this does hit trial. Or maybe in the next week or two, people are going to start releasing a lot of insider information to save their own ass. Oh, interesting, interesting. That's just, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen, but that's what I think will happen. Okay. Well, yeah, we've been having these conversations. Like, every day, something else comes out about it. It's just like really fascinating to follow. And so I was like, hey, let's throw it up on the podcast in case anyone wants a summary of Keegan's Twitter feed. Yeah. I think in short, the takeaway here is crypto did not do this. Blockchain did not do this. It was a result of a dummy. A very inconsiderate. And that's it. So, and yeah, I think on the contrary, actually, had this, this literally couldn't happen on a centralized exchange. So not that it couldn't, but you would, it would be, you could look at the code and see, hey, is this thing have a hole or is this vulnerable? So, yep. Blockchain crypto is safe. Just don't keep it on an exchange. Yes. So whenever you move money on to Coinbase, exchange it, don't leave anything in your balance. Correct. Something else too that I thought was interesting is there were, it was $3.4 billion worth of Bitcoin was moved off of exchanges. I think this is like four steps back, but will be 10 to 12 steps forward from this fiasco. Like the short term, it's going to be terrible. The sentiment's going to be awful. Understandably, people are going to be scared, not understanding. But this will bring forth the need for regulation. Regulation will lead to more institutional investors. More institutional investors will bring confidence from Main Street. And in turn, larger businesses begin using the technology so yeah i think this is bound to happen at some point whether it was this year next year in five years um it was gonna happen i feel like i've just heard about so many more financial crimes lately what do you mean like what i don't know just in culture and just hearing about like scams and just the bitcoin scam our friend was a part of i don't know i just feel like i've heard about more financial crime well yeah i think too yeah, I don't know how much more it is, but I do think it's just a new technology, just like the snake oil salesman 
whatever and then the email scams the nigerian prints and you know now we're on now we're on crypto so it's just people exploiting the lack of the general population's knowledge of a certain technology and people are going to exploit that until it wise up so yeah i think that makes sense all right well We'll be back with another episode when we have something exciting to report. Obviously, it's been a minute, so we're excited to hop on with some more current news. And maybe we'll do another podcast episode soon on just kind of what we've been up to and our hiatus. All of that. But thanks for listening. Thanks. Shoot us a note on Twitter at Her and the Nerd or on Instagram. And we'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye.